good to be in the house of the Lord again, to spend time in God's word, to spend time with God's people. It's always incredibly challenging um, to, to do what I do. And I think for men who have been tasked to do um, what you do, what we do, um, I'm becoming more keenly aware of Ephesians 6, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against principalities, against rulers of the world, these forces of darkness that are, abide in the heavens that we can't see, and that the clear, the clear goal of those entities is to separate us from our God. They can't do so spiritually because we are safe and secure in the arms of Jesus. No man can snatch us out, but he can distract us. And I would pray this morning that you would pray for me that I not be distracted, that I would stay focused, that the word of God would truly resonate deep within us all. As we consider where we've been, we've looked at our purpose statement, we've examined it in great detail. We seek to be a God-glorifying, oops, a little too fast. We exist to be a spirit-led, God-glorifying, intimate community of disciples who are growing in our understanding of an application of God's word. We're, we're seeking to do something that is not outside the realms of scripture. Um, we we want to grow up. We want to mature. We want to truly understand that we are called to be and make disciples. We're called to be disciples and make disciples, not converts. We're called to make disciples. We're all called to have this ongoing relationship with one another where we seek the mutual growth in the body of Christ. As a result of glorifying God by his spirit, by maturing and growing up, we are now called to all go and do something. Go into the world in ministry with Jesus. Now, I always think about it. I want you to consider if we were to take out that piece going with Jesus in his ministry of reconciliation, it would be our ministry of reconciliation. And here's what I can guarantee you would happen if it's our ministry of reconciliation. We're going to mess it up. But if it's his ministry, if it's a place where he's always working, and if it's in a heart where he's already working, we're going where he already is and proclaiming his name. And by the grace of God, for the glory of God, they will become people of God. But at the very end of the day, we are going to be faithful in proclaiming the word of God. That's our responsibility to sow seeds of the word of God. Yet we seek to get distracted. And when we talk about this vision, and as we talked about this purpose and mission for the church, it's not my mission. It's not my purpose. It's our collective purpose as the body of Christ to all be moving together, to all be going forward together, glorifying, maturing, and again, going. But vision is something different. Vision sets what are your goals for the future? What do you hope to be and hope to do? And I remember early in ministry, all I wanted to do was just, just have a building. We were in a hotel forever. Then we were in a school. Then we, we met in a conference room of, of a building. We got kicked out of because people, we weren't zoned for that. It was just, it was crazy. Like, Lord, what are you doing? Can you just give us somewhere we can meet? 
We were on the Isle of Misfit Toys, I felt. You know, we just kept going location to location. That was me early on in ministry. Well, that's not been the call of Bethel. You've had a building. But after all, isn't this rather weak to only have a building be a goal? To have something tangible that the Bible tells us all things are going to be destroyed? So if our vision is only to have a building, isn't that rather weak or limiting? Our goal for the future is not to have simply a building. We seek to be a God-glorifying community, intimate community of disciples who seek to grow in our understanding and application of the Word of God. Uh, that's, we grow in our intimacy towards one another as we grow in our understanding of the Word of God. The Word of God tells us who God is and reminds us who, who we are. As maturing disciples of Jesus, we provide hope by making disciples of our neighbors, the Lehigh Valley, and the nations. In other words, as we're growing up and we're growing into each other's lives, we are now going to impact the community around us, made up of all shapes, sizes of people, ethnicities, genders, all of it's there. And it's our responsibility to now go and tell as we're growing. Finally, the hope that we proclaim is found in the gospel of grace. Can I tell you the world needs hope, not luck. That's not what hope is. Hope is an anxious expectation, and it's found in grace. The gospel of grace, that God has done something none of us could ever do or ever would have thought about doing. He reconciles sinners to himself by himself for his glory, by his power. That's good news this morning, y'all. Uh, we don't have to rely on each other or ourselves for that power. He does it. We're simply vessels of his. As that gospel of grace is taught, believed, and lived, the people of God will be united. Notice that I didn't say all the nations would be united or the communities are, will be united with each other in just a general sense. The people of God will be united as grace is taught, lived, and believed. Unity and love. Peace and in harmony. Vision is a goal for the future. Where does our goal start? Word of God. It's all about the Word of God. It will always be about the Word of God. The Word of God is what men and women have died for countless times. Read of the atrocities that the Roman Catholic Church committed against those who were simply trying to interpret the Word of God in their own language. Men and women who died for the books that we have or the tablets we have, the phones that we have for the Bible in our own language. We say that's just, a, that's a commonplace. That's no big deal. That hasn't been throughout the span of history, brothers and sisters. This was a forbidden book for a long time. The book that we have in our hands that we, I pray, love and adore. But there's a problem with the Word of God as we will look. If you got your Bibles, go with me to 2 Timothy 4. If you're turning there, I want you to see something here. This isn't me, but this is a pastor depicted here. And these are the people sitting in the front row. I want you to notice, if you can, their signs. Remember how much money I give each week, uh, their preacher. Make sure there are enough programs for my kids. Tell me again how much God wants to bless me, the middle one says. Please refer to sin as bad choices. And the final one up there. Don't mention how it makes me feel uncomfortable. Obviously, this hasn't happened at Bethel. We have too good a security for that to happen. But our goal and the beginning stages of our vision is biblical-focused proclamation. Biblical-focused proclamation. 
You might say, well, what's that cartoon have to do with biblical focus proclamation? 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 will help us understand. Paul writes these words to young Timothy, this pastor in Ephesus, and says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. That makes it very, very weighty, Timothy. Timothy, you should probably sit up for this one. Timothy, you should probably take note because I'm charging you before the holy and living God who has called me into this ministry and he's called you as well, Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead. Preacher, pastor, he's going to judge you. And by his appearing in his kingdom, Paul tells Timothy three simple words, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come, I would suggest if I could add on to the text, the time has come. When they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Paul here speaking prophetically saying, Timothy, there's a time coming. I've reminded, you, I've reminded the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 that savage wolves are going to come in among them. But Timothy, a time's going to come possibly in your ministry, if not in the successive generations, where people don't want to hear the word. They want to have their ears tickled. They want to be massaged. They want to be comforted for their own creature comforts. Time has come, brothers and sisters, we're there. I'm appalled at the things I hear people say and do in the name of a sermon. Some years ago, I was watching TBN, which you all know, whenever David says TBN, say, why do you do that to yourself? Young man there is preaching who I didn't know. And what made his sermon noticeable at first was the size of this, the, the stage for him because he really was performing. It should be called a chancel. But the stage that he had on had this huge dirt mound on the back. I'm like, what is, man, what kind of illustration? What kind of illustration is this huge dirt mound? Well, I found out a few moments later when I hear the roar of a motorcycle engine and a young man begins to do jumps on the stage as he's preaching. Yeah, brother, that's it. My face was looking just like yours. <laughs> what in the world is going on here? And taking risk in life. I'm just like, what in the world? I, I, I was struggling like, Mr. Smith, surely this is a joke. This, is, this, this can't be happening. But I read an article based on this man's ministry, and he is known, he's famous for his appeal to the culture. Uh, I did it one more time, turned to TBN, and he happened to be on again. And he's preaching, and he's on an elliptical machine preaching. I started to bring in my Peloton, but I wanted to keep my job because you're too smart to let me do that. He's exercising while he's proclaiming the word of God. He needs a gimmick to get your attention. That ain't happening here under the time that I'll be here, brothers and sisters. The day I die and laid out here, I want to bring in some other huckster to do that. Have, have, have at it. It's not going to be me, though. 
I'm not putting on a show. I'm not up here doing a soft shoe for you. I'm not getting a bunch of gimmicks to keep your attention. If the word of God isn't enough for the people of God, then we're all wasting our time, brothers and sisters. If it doesn't warm our heart, fill our souls, nothing else will. Christ be crucified. Christ be resurrected must always be our clarion message to the world with vigor. Truths proclaimed in God's word. We start with uh, the Bible. Preach the word, he says there in verse 2. Why does Timothy need to preach the word? Because there are times are coming when people don't want to hear the word of God. They want to have their ears massaged. They want to feel good about themselves. They don't want to hear the Bible. Spurgeon dealt with this some years later, many years later, where he says these words during what's referred to as the downgrade controversy. Everywhere there is apathy. Nobody cares whether that which is preached is true or false. A sermon is a sermon, whatever the subject. Only the shorter it is, the better. Doesn't matter what's said, doesn't matter if it's true, as long as it's said in 20 minutes. I just want to go in and feel good or feel whatever I'm going to feel and I am out. Well, we would think, well, surely that started, stopped, excuse me, during the downgrade controversy. Surely we're not in that bad a state now. Looking at ministry every two years puts out what's called the state of theology. And they write these words in that survey. The most consistent and concerning trend is the increasing rejection of the literal truth of Scripture among the U.S. population. They ask this question and wanted the responders to give an answer. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contain helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. 2014, 41% of people agreed with that statement. 16, 44%, 18, 47%, and 2020, 48%. Most people believe that our book is filled with myths. And I'd love to tell you that it stops with secular universities or more... Um, ecumenical type ministries. No, there are some in good old Christian who say Jonah never existed and uh, that that Red Sea was more like the Reed Sea. And the, the flood, that was local. Didn't cover the whole earth. Oh, that God, 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 God you know, he's not really doing all the things that the Old Testament has proclaimed that he did. Those are myths that they picked up from other ancient Near Eastern sources that they pumped into the Bible. The Bible's not true. What do we do as a result? Ligonier goes on to write these words, and I quote, The results reveal an urgent need for clear biblical teaching on the person of Christ, the gospel of grace, and the way that the truth of God informs our ethical decisions in everyday life. Packer would say, Knowing about God is crucially important for the living, for living our lives. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place, and life is a disappointing, unpleasant business for those who do not know God. Disregard the study of God, listen to this, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. 
What's the linchpin? What's the key? Understanding the word of God. So it is vital for us, for the preachers of this church and our denomination, the teachers of our church and our denomination and the church at large to be people of the word, teaching the word, proclaiming the word of God. The time has come where people don't want to hear doctrine. That should not stop us from preaching it. In some circles, doctrine is a bad word. It's a curse word. Don't give me doctrine. Give me Jesus. But don't you understand the teaching of Jesus is doctrine? I don't understand. Don't give me doctrine. Give me Jesus. What part do you want of him? Ears tickled. I'm reminded when Moses goes to the mountain. People say, this Moses is taking too long. We desire a a leader. Make us gods, Aaron. Some would say the people will always long for false gods, and there's always someone to provide what the people want. Give the people what they want. They want their ears tickled. They want to feel good. They want to be massaged. They don't want to be preached to. First Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy 4, we see the word preach there means to herald. It's to proclaim. A herald was those, that man who would come into a city or a village and act as an imperial messenger, telling the message of the king. He didn't give his own opinion. He didn't give his own thoughts. This is what the king says. This is the the religious edict. This is the social edict, the public edict that our government is making. And you ought to listen to it. It is authoritative. It is law. It is true. And you best do it. That's what the messenger came in to say. J.C. Ryle in his commentary said, is the preaching of the word is the principal means God has chosen to use to convert and edify souls. The brightest days of the church have been those when the preaching has been honored. The darkest days of the church have been those when it has been treated as something unimportant. If you study Reformation history, one of the beautiful things that resulted as Luther and the other reformers come out of the dark ages of the Catholic Church domination was the preaching of the word. Their rallying cry was ad fontes, to the sources, to the sources. Let us get back to the Bible. Let us proclaim it. Not the theories and opinions of men. Let's get to the book. I believe we should honor our king by praying and the sacraments are important. We will honor him at the table this morning, but we cannot push preaching out to the side. We cannot put preaching below anything else. It is the proclamation of truth of God's word. It's the heart of who we are. The Osberg Confession of 1530 states it this way, that the church is the place where the word is purely preached. Second Helvetic Confession says these words, the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Who? That's lofty for a preacher to hear. The very proclamation of the words coming out of my mouth, considered the word of God. Ought to be trepidation in that if that's true. Scriptures are central to all things that we are. One commentator says to place the Bible in its central position has to be done as it was done in the earlier centuries. To place Christ in the center of the Bible, as Luther did, was previously unheard of. Jesus is all we are. Jesus is all we are about. 
Brothers and sisters, it's your responsibility as members and friends of this church to hold this pulpit, our Sunday school classes, our youth classes, to proclaiming the word of God in truth. Don't ever let that change this church. You younger people that will carry on the baton beyond my time here and others. Make sure this pulpit remains a place where the word of God is proclaimed. Isaiah 40, verse 8, you know it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah 55, 11, so will my word which goes forth from my mouth. It will return to me, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the manner for which I sent it. Proclaim, teach the word. Well, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do this moving forward? We envision a church where God's word is honored, exalted, and authoritative. God's word is honored, exalted, and authoritative. Love Isaiah 66, verse 2. Um, Isaiah is commenting and hearing from the Lord, where is a house that you can make me? The earth is all mine. How can you make me a house? God steps in and says this in verse 2, for my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being. He's talking about the earth and all that we know. But to this one will I look. Listen, brothers and sisters. Sovereign God, Yahweh says this, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Reverence for his word. It's honored, it's exalted as the truth that it is. If we had time this morning, we'd look at 2 Kings 22 when Hilkiah the priest and Chapman the scribe describe how they have found the book of the law. Imagine the people of God have lost the book of the law. The law was all that they were, all that they were doing to be. It taught them how to worship Yahweh and properly seek his face. It had been lost and Hilkiah finds it. I love this in verse 9. I'll read it for you. Your servants have emptied out the money that was in the house and have delivered into the hand of the workmen who have oversight in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah the priest has given me a book and he read it in the presence of the king. The king heard the words of the book of the law and he tore his clothes, rends his garments. Closes in verse 13. Go inquire the Lord for me and all the people and all of Judah concerning the words of this book that it has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Josiah brings about a reform, but it starts with what? Understanding and knowing the word of God. When I see reform in our country, it's not programs that are going to do it, brothers and sisters. It's the exaltation. It's the honoring of God's word. It's authoritative. It's true, brothers and sisters. That's why we defend inerrancy. We fight, we die for inerrancy, that the word is God is true in all that it purports, all that it states. I don't care if it goes against our sensibilities. I don't care if it goes against culture. It always has. I know the world says many things about culture sexually and socially. But what's going to be true, brothers and sisters? Are we going to stand on what God says? Are we going to stand on what the culture says that we should say about things? I would suggest to you that we cease to be a church if we don't stand for the truth found in God's word. We're just wasting our time. It is a complete waste of time. If the word of God is not honored, exalted, and authoritative, well, how does that pray itself out practically? We want all our Sunday school classes 
women's study, men's study to proclaim the word of God is true. And we honor it, which means we study it. You ever been part of a, a, a study? I grew up with sermons where a guy would read a passage and then he would preach a sermon that had nothing to do with the passage. <laughs> it was usually something he, and, 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 and I was like, this is what preaching is. And, and I knew it. I've learned now when a guy says, you know, the, the Lord gave me something early this morning. You know what that's code for? I haven't studied all week. <laughs> but I can put it off on God. The Lord woke me up with something in my spirit this morning. Man, stop lying. You didn't study all week. And you're going to come bring us some junk. So when you hear me say that, <laughs> twist your lips up and say, come on, pastor. We honor God's word by teaching it. You should hold us accountable in Bible, at prayer meeting. We should be opening the word of God. At whatever ministry we're a part of, we should be opening the word of God and expounding on the word of God. I'm not saying it needs to be an hour like I do, but it should be 10 or 15 minutes of opening God's word and saying what God says about the word. Not, don't tell me, I don't want to ask, we're not going to ask questions like, how does this make you feel? How do you interpret it? Doesn't matter how you interpret it. Doesn't matter what you think it means. It matters what it means. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I, I, I don't care if it's from 8 to 80. That's what we're going to do here. Proclaim the word of God as authoritative. We defend the word of God here with our very lives should we need to. Hebrews tells us, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him in whom we have to do. It's the word of God that cuts. Isn't it wonderful though? You ever have the word of God cut you deeply in one verse and you read another verse and it heals you completely? You read something that's incredibly convicting, but this hurts, this stings. This is talking about me. And then you read the very next verse. But God's grace is sufficient. You're like, man, what a wonderful, wonderful story that I can truly find the rest for my soul in this book. So we envision a church where God's word is honored, exalted, and authoritative. Secondly, we envision a church where preaching and teaching ministries proclaim the whole counsel of God's word. Now, why do, I, why do we put this in here? The whole counsel of God's word, man, just hold on to your seats here. The whole counsel of God's word is the entire Bible. We're not going to just stick to the New Testament. Because there's an idea that you just need to stick to the Old Testament because that Old Testament God, we don't, we don't, we, 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 we don't like him too much. You know, Joshua and Judges, that's not the God we want. We just, just get us to the New Testament. And by the way, if you're going to be in the New Testament, we'd prefer that you just stay in the Gospels. Because all we want, Bob, is Jesus. We just need Jesus. Just don't, don't Paul, he's a woman hater and a gay basher. Come on, Paul. And John, nobody, Revelation, who can understand Revelation? No, 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 no. Just give us Jesus. And in particular, if you could just focus in on Sermon on the Mount, how about just that one? Sermon on the Mount. Let's just stick there. But all that Pauline doctrine stuff and hypostatic union and your union with Christ and propitiation and sanctification. No, 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 no. 
Love your neighbor. Kumbaya. That's what we want. We don't want that heavy sovereignty of God. No, 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 no. Don't even mention that. Don't mention sovereignty. We don't want any of that heavy stuff. Well, you're in the wrong place, brothers and sisters. Because you're going to hear it. We're preferably going to talk about it. And here's what's the funnest part, right, Donna? We get to wrestle with it. We can come together and say, I don't understand. You might even find a passage, brothers and sisters, that you say, I don't really like that. You're not supposed to like all that God writes concerning you. And you get to wrestle with it. You want to proclaim the truth of God's word. J.I. Packer says these words, doctrinal preaching certainly bores the hypocrite, but it is only doctrinal preaching that will save Christ's sheep. Amen, Brother Packer. Acts, if you got your Bibles, go with me really quick to Acts chapter 20. I want you to notice what Paul says here to the believers in Ephesus. Acts 20, verse 20. Give you a moment to get there. Acts 20, verse 20. Well, let's give 19 for a tad bit more context. Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. So Paul's talking about his difficulty as he was teaching. But notice what he says to them. How I did not shrink from declaring to you what? Anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from where? House to house. The apostle Paul spent time teaching and proclaiming not shrinking away from anything that was profitable. By the way, what book was Paul teaching from? Our books, I should say. The Old Testament. Notice in verse 27 what he goes on to say. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the what? The whole purpose of God. He spends three years here in Ephesus teaching them in detail. We ought to be systematic teachers trying to understand what the passage is saying. What is God saying? Who is he saying it to? What's he saying it for? What's the context of the verse? As we try to understand what that means. And again, brothers and sisters, what we're trying to do and what sometimes is done in the church, well, people say, well, of course, this should just happen in the pulpit. Are we all called to be? Are we all called to be theologians? Yes, you are. Sorry, Bob. (laughs) Is it just the pastor? What's the danger if I'm the only guru in the room? Jim Jones? David Koresh? Plethora of other people will lead you astray. Oh, don't you? I've had, heard people, Christian, don't worry about reading. I'll read this for you. I'll interpret it for you. You guys aren't sharp enough. You can buy the same commentaries I can. Lagos, you can pay for it just like I did. We're all called to understand and know. We pray God's word is proclaimed throughout. There's not sections we want to stay away from. Prophetic literature is hard. Daniel, Revelation, those are hard books to understand. They are. Doesn't mean we should stay away from them. Just got to labor through and work through. Paul's teaching on women. Tough stuff. Woo, hard stuff. We got to proclaim it. We got to talk about it. Let's wrestle with it. We're not just going to, oh, no, it doesn't mean what it means. Or there's no role for women at all. 
Is that what he's saying? Let's talk about it. Let's parse it out. It's number two. Number three. We envision passionate, spirit-enabled, Jesus-exalting, personally encouraging, sinner-evangelizing preaching. That's what you are to hold me accountable for. I think I can usually do the passion okay. Spirit-enabled is tough for anybody. Everybody would say that they're under the Spirit, but man, what part is the Spirit and what part's me? At what part does my study and my whatever limited abilities I have to understand God's Word and explain it to you is me? And what part is the Spirit? I'd like to say both. God is still shaping even the jacked up part of me. And believe me, there's plenty of that. Spirit enabled. We're led by the Spirit. And I think if the Spirit is enabling me to preach, I should be talking about God's Word. Can I say that we make sure we always add this and you hold us accountable that it's Jesus exalting? 1 Corinthians 9 verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of for I'm under compulsion. Paul says this, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. All true preaching must always be about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 23, for indeed Jews ask for a sign and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Jesus exalting. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't make any difference if you come out just knowing this book and you haven't learned about Jesus. If you haven't grown in your appreciation for Jesus and you say, well, that could never happen, I would dare to disagree with you. There are plenty of, there, there's, a, there's an atheist Bible teacher named Bart Ehrman. Anybody know that name? Knows the book pretty good. Nick, you know the name, right? Knows the book pretty good would deny most of the stories found in it. Knows the book very well. Simply having facts about the book. You can go to the book and still miss Jesus. How do we know that, by the way? Pharisees completely miss Jesus. They had the book. Having the book and learning just facts could have you still miss Jesus. You walk out just with your theological degree without seeing Jesus, it's problematic. 1 Peter 1, 22 to 23. Since you have this confidence in the truth, purify your souls for sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have not been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but what is imperishable. That is through the living, enduring word of God. The word of God properly preached evangelizes the sinner. It reminds the sinner who he or she is and the consequences of remaining in unbelief and the consequences and the benefits of coming to the light, embracing the Savior. You've heard it said many times from this pulpit and others like it, the same sun that hardens the clay softens the wax. You can have two people sitting in a room like this. Some will receive it and they'll be angry and their jaws will be locked and their fists clenched and the person sitting right next to them will be melting at the grace of the Lord. You say, how does such a thing happen? Because the word of God is powerful. Sharp, piercing, but also healing. Last piece of this, brothers and sisters. We envision a church where redemption through Christ alone is faithfully preached. Solos Christus. Christ alone. 
but where there is also a sincere appeal to, for individuals to obey God's word and persevere in their faith, as is their responsibility. In other words, brothers and sisters, it's not important that we simply know what to do. We must what? We must actually do it. If you got your Bibles, go with me back to the Old Testament to Psalm 119. We're going to read it in its entirety. Ah, some of you get it. Some of you got it. Good. Some of you don't know why they're laughing. Just go to Psalm 119 and you'll find out rather quickly. Psalm 119, look at verse 97. And I pray that this is the posture of our hearts as we look at God's word. Not just this morning, but all the time. Psalm 119, 97. Would this be the mark of all believers in this room today? Even the pastor who was proclaiming it. Oh, how I Love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age because I observe your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than the honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. He loves God's word and God's word has instructed him, but it also has taught him how he must live. Jesus tells in two gospels, in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, he tells this story of a man who builds a home on sand. And what is he comparing in that parable, that man too? He's comparing it to a person who keeps his word, who doesn't keep his word. Remember the man, he goes out and he digs a hole and he, he digs deep and he, and he plants it on something. But the other man does not do that. A storm comes in cookie in both of those homes and one is utterly destroyed because it's not built on the, it's not built on the rock. He says, those who keep my word are like the man who made this wise investment of building his home on the rock. Are we keeping his word? Moreover, it's required of a steward that he be found faithful. Jesus would say to his disciples, why do you refer to me as Lord and you don't do what I say? How can we say that we obey and honor this word as authoritative and we don't do it? And oftentimes, I used to be probably like some of you, when I listened to speakers, I would, uh, I would always identify the doctrinal things that he got wrong. And I'd say, oh, he's, he's at this one. Ed, he's at this one. He's, he's one of them. You know. I won't say them because there may be some thems in here, so I'm not going to do that. You know, he's probably not what doctrine of grace guy. Ooh, I bet he believes this. And I found myself being very critical of speakers. Then I, something struck me. I was like, okay, you're this... You disagree with those two or three points. What about the stuff you agree with? You going to do that? I can pick out the stuff I don't like. Oh, yeah, you got that wrong. Said that one wrong. Well, what about the stuff that he said was right, brother? What you going to do with that? Uh, uh, you know, uh. Those parts that you know are true. How are you obeying those? You're picking on the stuff you don't like or that you may think he's got wrong. What about the stuff he's got right? You obeying that one? Ugh, ouch. How are we doing with our obedience, brothers and sisters? Last verse I want to give you, James chapter 1.
you know these verses, you've heard them. Just want to remind you. James 1, 22. James chapter 1, verse 22. But prove yourselves to be what? Doers of the word. Not merely hearers who delude themselves. It's a premium on hearing. It's great that you hear. But you're deluding yourself if you're only hearing. You've got to do. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked away at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. This is the word of the Lord. How's you doing this morning, brothers and sisters? We want to become a church, a church that as a body obeys the word of God. That church is the church that actually teaches and believes and does what they are taught. Wouldn't it be nice that all churches would be marked by that? But we can tell by some of their activities that that's not what they do. May that not be us. We envision, as we move forward, a church that takes the word of God very, very seriously in both its proclamation and its application. How do we do that? How do we become that church? There is a responsibility of leadership to do our part, giving you opportunities to learn and grow and examining what are the best methods for you to learn and grow. But there's also a responsibility on you to take advantage of the opportunities that have been given to learn and to grow and to mature. We will, and you are to hold us accountable to do our part. The elders of this church who you met last week, some of you didn't know who they were. We're going to get their pretty pictures up on the website, though, for you guys. You can see all their pearly whites. It's, up. it's our responsibility to do that. It's the teachers of this, of this church, whether it be Sunday school teachers, women's ministry or men's ministry, young adult ministry or um, charities. He works with the teens and the leaders found there to proclaim the word of God. But we want you to take advantage of it by attending events that we host, by attending Sunday school and learning and growing and maturing in small groups and things like that, that we would become a church that God is well pleased, but it begins and it ends with our understanding and application of God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we are keenly aware of our shortcomings. Father and our God, we are we're aware at times that we have disregarded your word. We know what we're supposed to do, and we don't. So for those men and women in this room who have consistently done that, it's appropriate to ask for forgiveness. And Lord, we can hold on to your promise that you are, you're faithful. You're a forgiving God. You're a restoring God. But Lord, I pray that you would make us like James talked about, those effectual doers. 
We'd have a great appreciation for your word and the gift that you have given us to have us in our language in multiple translations. And that we would become students of the Bible. Not for just our own edification, but for the evangelism of the world. The reconciliation of the world. For your glory. Make us a church like that. God, we love you this morning. Please teach us to love you more. Let us love your word greater and greater each day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.